Ooh. How's it going? How's it going? Oh, I've left the old, I left the old heater on. I'm just going to turn it off. Give me a sec. It's a bit noisy. A bit noisy. <coughs> Ooh, a bit of an action-packed intro there. Energetic, energetic intro. How's it going, everybody? Are you well? Got a bit of a brew left here. Um, hope everything's going okay. Um, so things feel sort of more positive, actually, this weekend. Just because for us, where I live, it's just got 10 degrees warmer. In fact, it's got it's got 12 degrees warmer because it was naught and, and well below naught. And now it's 12 degrees. Um and it just makes such a difference. Just the last few days of just um, just being able to just go outside and just feel like not, you know, not go. Oh God, it's absolutely freezing or or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and it's been yeah, it's been full on. So sorry, no episode last week. Um, my bi-monthly podcast has now become a uh, flailing mess, um, but that's okay. Um, it's all free, so. I was, well, it kind of ties into today's episode, but uh, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute, about about why I ended up not making an episode last week, because it's my usual, it's the usual Walsh kind of procrastination, not, not making a decision, um, having grand ideas that uh, don't come to anything, just, you know, just the usual nonsense, really, uh, just, you know, I'm not sticking with something that works, thinking, oh, I'm going to have... Do a new format, new vibe for the podcast, new, new approach, um, and that didn't quite work out because, um, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you about that in a bit. I'll tell you about that in a bit. But yeah, so sorry, the new episode last week. It's just also very busy uh, at work, even though it was half term. Like we 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 call it half term in the UK. We, I mean, it's not half term for us. Uh, at universities level it's what we have we called a reading week but then it's like a because I work full time there's just so much else going on you know lots of other things going on and um, was out of the normal flow of things you know when you're out of the normal flow of things then the stuff that you really want to get done outside work you've got to take the opportunities when you can um, and time becomes precious you know and this is why the podcasting failed last week, because ultimately I was thinking about a new format. Uh, I've done a, you know, there's a couple of episodes I've done at the kit, and I enjoyed them, you know. And because I've been practicing a lot recently, I had this thing about, you know what, I'm going to start doing the some of the podcast episodes, maybe, you know, quite a large amount of them, just at the kit while I'm practicing and, just sort of talking about what I'm practicing and going on, you know, and and then I realised that it's a nightmare because, um, however honest and open and you know whatever you want to be about it, the bottom line is you end up sort of it just puts a different slant on things, puts a, a different pressure on that time. And I've been practicing a lot, and, and I've, I've I've you know had some goals and. Framing things in that way was a bad vibe, you know, because it, what it meant was that time that I've been, I'm practicing a very, 
in a, in a certain way, and I'm really enjoying it at the moment. And and it's it's an op- it's an opportunistic way of practicing at certain points in the day, um, which is very short bursts of things. And I've got like 15, 20 minutes just to just and a lot of that is about kind of if I've just thought about something, I want to sit down and get it written down. Then I'll come back to it later in the day when I've got more time. And then there's this yeah later in the daytime, which is after I sort of finish work. I like to spend, um, i just got this kind of routine, this daily routine. Um, one part of it is exercising. Uh, and a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, I think I've mentioned this before, he, he gave me this little task to do six days a week and resting on the seventh day. And, and I'm resting today, this, it's the Sabbath. Uh, not religious at all it's sunday i don't do the exercise on the sunday i also don't practice the drums on a sunday i do other things i do diy things and stuff and fitted a tap today in the kitchen you know new tap which was uh something i've been sort of freaking out about doing and it was actually remarkably easy now we'll see if the tap ends up exploding or something you know some horrific thing will happen and it'll just be a horror show and it'll be all my fault but Fingers crossed so far, the tap is fitted and it works and there's no leaks. And uh, and the old tap was a nightmare. It wasn't connected to the sink properly anymore and, and you couldn't move it. And it was just, it was all crooked and the guy fixed it, did a real bodge job of it because um, he, he did it at the end of this day. He was doing a lot of repairs, painting our house, actually. He's a great guy, a repair guy we use. I've not seen him for a while. Uh, I've not seen him since COVID, actually, and I hope he's okay, you know, but... He painted our house, and right at the end of the day, I, I, asked him, I said, oh, can you fix the, this tap? We've got a nightmare. We've got the taps leaking, like, like leaking around the edges of the tap and underneath the sink, so it's making a right mess. And he was like, oh, I'll take it off and put a new seal on it. Uh, and I left him to it. And when I came back to it, it was he'd just done this terrible job of it. He'd put sealant around it and not tightened it up really because there was no way of tightening it getting it any tighter the whole thing was a catastrophe the way it was it was really poorly installed originally you know it was a very very good tap but very very poorly installed uh, it's one of those jobs I think probably when our kitchen was done before I lived here but um, it was probably one of those jobs that still were in a hurry at the end of the day you know like the car joke built on a Friday you know and all cars are all cars that are built on a Friday you know they always have problems they always have something wrong with them so anyway so I was yeah DIY day today and doing some things down in my other shed and so I just I stay away from the drums uh I did do a little bit today because I've um because the episode's called the diary which sounds like some sort of profound kind of um it's like some sort of intrigue film, you know, The Diary. Oh. Just finishing my brew. Um, there's nothing intriguing about this at all. Um, but it's about, like, I've been basically, um, my practice regime, I've been using a little book. It's been great. Because what what I've been doing, the way I've been approaching practice is I've been... Uh, I've had this two-pronged thing I've been doing in my lessons. It's it, One has been coordination stuff. Um, and I've got some specific exercises that I've been working on for, uh, you know, a while now. And I've started to just nudge into some areas which have been, um, been really wanting to get into. 
uh, and and the other stuff is 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 vocabulary or or you know some people call it language. I call it vocabulary. I, I, it, language for me, it's a, this is an intriguing one, and it could be contentious. My view is very simple. The language is the style. So, if I want to speak French, I learn French. I can't speak French, by the way. I want to speak Swedish. I lived in Sweden a long, long, long time ago for quite a short amount of time, but I learned a little bit of Swedish. I speak a little Swedish. Um, and I know a few of the phrases. No, all the numbers and stuff. And that's a language, you know. And then within the language, so the language is Swedish, English, French, whatever. Within the language, rock, jazz, you know, funk, Latin, et cetera, et cetera, there's vocabulary that works within that music. And uh, my thing has been, recently, has been taking the vocabulary from one style and re-learning it in jazz, in, in, the, in the language of jazz. So it's becoming jazz vocabulary, not fusion vocabulary. So a couple of things I got off John Riley, my last lesson, it was a couple of um, more fusion-y patterns. I mean, I don't generally practice patterns. I'm not a, I don't practice in that way and I don't play in that way and I've never learned that way before, but I've, I've decided to do some of that stuff because I wanted to work on, I've been wanting to work on my bass drum coordination and part of coordination um is integrating it into pattern playing, uh, into fills, you know, just to, just to kind of help the activity of the bass drum to just to just have that connection down. And and in the left foot, I've been doing, I've been re, re sort of jigging some vocabulary and using the left foot as, instead of the left hand and things like that, you know, bringing it in as a voice. And so, um, yeah, the vocabulary for me is is within whichever language you're speaking, whichever language you've chosen chosen to play in. You know, and uh, I'm working quite a lot on my jazz playing at the moment, and it's jazz, jazz, not fusion, not kind of jazz rock or kind of hybridy. It's jazz playing, you know, really quite strict swing. So I bought some new cymbals, a uh, beautiful new ride cymbal, and some beautiful hi hats from this guy called Mattia uh, Borgis. I think that's his name. I think he's Italian, but he lives in uh, Tenerife. That's where the symbols were posted from anyway. Um, but, um, yeah, anyway, he's an amazing symbol maker. And I we were chatting and, yeah, I did. I sort of took the plunge. There was a beautiful pair of Hi-Hats that I really wanted, 15 and a halfs. Um, they're just awesome. They're so beautiful. They have... It's like you don't get 15s normally that have this body. Sorry, uh, that have the high end. They have the body. They have, they have the high end. And I've got some really lovely uh, Istanbul 30th anniversaries. I've had them for quite a while. They were the second pair in the UK. Uh, I was very lucky at the time to have an arrangement with Istanbul, as some of you know. And uh, I got offered them these symbols, you know. Uh, and I was supposed to buy the first pair, but I couldn't get up there in time and, and a shot wanted them and they got sold. I think we've had that story before. It's very boring. Anyway, I was very high hat happy. 
Hi Hat Happy. It's a good little um, thing. I don't know what that even means. Hi Hat Happy, because I've got some nice other hi hats. And I've got some ZBTs, which I you know we've discussed. Well, I've discussed on this podcast. I'm not discussing with anybody. There's nobody talking to me. It's just a bit. I'm just talking to myself. It's completely insane, really. But um, I saw these hi hats and I heard them. He, he posted these little videos and just sounded amazing, you know. Um, so I started chatting to him because um, a big departure for me. I I own I only own Istanbul symbols. All my symbols. Well, I've got one 18 inches. It's a ride crash ridey sort of thing. Very loud thing. That's not Istanbul. Don't know what brand it is. <clears throat> I bought it off Errol Roberts, a friend of mine. Um, it's a nice symbol, and I put some extra rivets in it. It's really great for just that gentle touch. And you get quite a lot of sound out of it. You don't hit it hard. You just touch it, you know, and it, it does what it needs to do. Um, but all my other cymbals, every one of them that I use are Istanbul's. So to kind of, uh, to make a decision to kind of go, you know, with another brand um, and all that. And, and, and it was just, a, you know, are my ears deceiving me? Are these what they are? You know, the YouTube thing and all that. Anyway. I decided to buy the Hi-Hats, and then on this clip, he had a ride symbol, which was a, which was actually a different ride symbol, but then he said, oh, but I've got this other one for sale, and I listened to the two. I talked to a good friend of mine about it. I talked about his opinion about the ride symbol, and he was talk, talking about this thing of playing in trios, piano trios, and about the, the frequency of the ride symbol, about where it's really nice, the sort of the pitch of a ride symbol to sit, you know. Buddy Rich had that thing with the big band rides. He used to go to Zildjian, didn't he? And he used to play all the A rides, the 22s, I think he played. And he would just play them all. And he would, there was a, they, he wanted a certain pitch because it would cut through the band. And it would, it would also, it would it'd be in a sonic area all of its own. Uh, and, and of the two rides, one was a 22, one was a 20. And I don't really like 22s, but I like the sound of this symbol with the hi-hats. But the 20 was gorgeous, and it was this K, um, it's called a K a tribute, 1950s K tribute it is. Anyway, they arrived early last week. Um, yeah, not, yeah, like on the uh, early February. And absolutely mega really really mega so i've been sort of just enjoying playing those and so the hi-hats have got the top end so the 15 and a half they've got all the body but they've got the top end they've got all the detail and they're not hard to play the one thing about the 30th anniversaries has always been the case is you've got to work the doubles you've got you know singles you have to work the singles regardless you know if you're playing single strokes you've got to work the singles it's just obvious you know it doesn't matter what surface you're playing on you've got to work the singles the doubles is a different thing because you know some surfaces lend themselves to they give a bit to the doubles you know this practice pad that i use a lot you know it's got a nice balance of it just gives enough to the doubles uh, it doesn't give too much, so that's why I quite like working on it. Um, but some surfaces they really give you the doubles, you know, and some really don't give you the doubles. And my 30th anniversary uh, hi hats, they 
that's the one thing that I really struggle with on them is you've got to rework hard. So when you're moving around the instrument and you're playing, say, some doubles on the snare to the hi-hat and stuff, you've got to be really on your toes. It's, it's a surface, it's that ever-changing surface thing where you've got to be aware of how you're working the sticks. But you, one would not normally expect it on the hi-hats, you know. And with my other Istanbuls that I've got, I've got two pairs of these medium traditionals, one with a flat bottom and one with a normal bottom. And uh, they're both, you know, they're just easy to play doubles on. They just play doubles all day long nicely, just just nice and middle of the road, you know. And they, and they sound great. They're great heights. They're very Zildjian, early 70s kind of vibe, you know, that sort of sound. Anyway, these, um, Matthias, these hi-hats that he sold me, um, they're, they're just, like, beautiful to play at that frequency, you know, with, with that high-end and with that feel, with, with the doubles, you know, they, they've got that kind of... They play like 13s, but they're 15s. And uh, I haven't played a pair of hi-hats like that before, and they sound amazing. They're just so beautiful. And then this ride is absolutely staggering you know it's and and with my istanbul 21 um i put i had a i had a mel lewis on with some rivets i was doing some recording for a couple of people they wanted some stuff with rivets brushes thing and anyway i put my 21 back on the, the kit next to it in the sort of left hand side position and i was just playing yesterday and friday with those symbols together and they they work so well together my problem is i don't know which one i want on the right now I don't know whether I want the 20 on the right and the 21 on the left or want the other way around. Because, I mean, I love the 21 and I always will and I still do. And I love it even more now I've got this 20 that works so well with it. It's never had a... I've got this 20 and a half um, 25th anniversary, which I've had for a long time since where right right when they first came out. I think it's number 200 and... I can't remember the number of it, 200 and whatever it was. I've just got a certificate with it anyway. Um and that's been my left-hand ride because it's a really short crash, 20 and a half, big crash, really quick, in and out. And uh, and it's a light ride. It's quite tony, you know, but you can't play it hard. So you can't... It's just got that limitation. But it does make you play disciplined, you know. Um, something which don't see a lot of at the moment online and stuff is a lot of lots it's lots of like fortissimo it's everyone's everyone's just plays so loud you know it's just like it's all just a loud thing it's all linear and it's all loud it's quite depressing i find it quite depressing nobody's nobody's like into this like quieter dynamic you know um i found somebody on instagram this week i can't remember his name he's mega player and he's playing beautiful mezzo forte you know just like smoky, detailed, really making a nice sound. It's like, why is there not more of that going on? Well, I know why, because it's harder. That's why. Sorry, controversial, but, you know, it is harder to play that dynamic and play with that detail. And I'm, I'm always impressed and it's something I always aspire to do, you know. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I digress. Sorry, that's a deviation there. Um but no, so um, not left hand right, but the 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 twentieth, the twenty fifth, twenty and a half, <laughs> cracky, what a mouthful. Is yeah, you've got to. It's not a. You can't ride on it more than Metsaforte, 
And that's, you know, occasionally a problem for me. I'll, I do want to lay in a bit more. Uh, so I my kind of thinking is it's going to end up on the right-hand side of the right-hand ride. But that isn't going to solve which which is the primary ride, you know, because your primary ride is um, it's like the core, the centre of your sound. At the moment, it's feeling like the, um, the bogus is going to be the symbol, you know. And the, the 20 and a half, 21, sorry, Jazz Special Edition is going to be on the left. Um, so, and they're all super short crashes. You know, the 21's very short. The 20 and a half, 25th anniversary is really, really short. And so is this new ride. You hit it, it's in and out. It's beautiful, you know. And uh, it's got a gorgeous shallow bell. Uh, very 50s, you know. So that's been like, um, yeah, it's been a really beautiful thing and it's been a major kind of event in my uh, in my life in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, so yes, so it's really focused me on the kind of jazz thing. Um, and part of my, you know, having my lessons was about becoming a better jazz player as well. Um, just, just core um being able to play time really strong time and be able to comp and do all that sort of stuff so i'm going to set my keys out of my pocket because i'm rattling them around sorry about that um yeah just play be able to play time really strong time and be able to coordinate my other three limbs and, and play whatever i need to play you know um and so it's been like yeah it's been a really interesting time and it's like almost like a time of reinventing oneself um but with the with the diary thing and the practicing diary thing, the 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 thing that's been really interesting having having it to hand all the time is has been actually the vocabulary stuff, the coordination stuff is is out of books, uh, it's out of pre existing materials, you know, and it's and it's approaching them in just a different way, and they're just. You know, it's that it's that concept thing. It's like, oh, you take this material, but you do this with it. You're not playing the material as it was written, as it you know originally was written. So that's all fine. But the vocabulary stuff, we chatted about um, playing some uh, playing some patterns with two bass drum uh, things, that, you know, next to each other. So, so right, left, right, right, left, left, foot, foot, bass drum, bass drum. Those kind of patterns, you know. Um, which might sound very simple to lots of people, and, and they are, but it's, it's something I've always shied away from. Um, and also just playing single things within patterns in the bass drum. Again, it's like, you know, I'm sounding like a hypocrite now. It sounds like I'm getting into this sort of linear hell sort of thing, and, and that's not that's not what it is at all. It's about, it's about sort of exercising the right foot within vocabulary in order to connect it... Um, have a strong connection to it when I'm practicing these coordination exercises and vice versa. And to not go into loads of detail um, because I can't, um, but I've already noticed some quite astonishing things that, you know, that are only, you know, they're only obvious to me. And, uh, and and that's a very obvious thing to say because as we, as we learn and practice things, if we, if we, you know, have a, have a systematic approach to something and, and then we, uh, we are sort of a being against things that we in the previously in the past couldn't get near or do or whatever, and then we start to see this kind of emerging new flexibility, which is ultimately what it is, isn't it? You know, you're seeing like uh, an ability to be just be able to 
be more flexible and be able to not to have to be limited by not being able to do one thing whilst doing something else. It's a simple fundamental thing. But um, I noticed two or three quite interesting um, things in my playing which have which have developed in the last three months, you know. Uh, and I've sort of thrown out the window this theory that I had. Uh, which, well, it used to be true because it used to be the way that I used to work. Because I used to practice sporadically, but I used to play a lot. And uh, there was never a lot of headspace for things to get into the playing because, you know, I didn't want to be thinking about what I was doing when I was playing. So I'd just be playing from you know, from instinct, muscle memory or whatever, you know, just from whatever is accessible in the moment. And things that I would practice and spend a little bit of obsessive time doing, which I didn't used to do a great deal of. I didn't have a lot of time to do it, to be honest with you. When I was gigging a lot, I was not not really putting a lot of time into this part of my playing. They would suddenly appear in my playing around three months later on of their own accord, you know. Uh, whereas this last year, because, you know, it's the 21st of February today and um, this, um, by the 7th of March, <clears throat> it will be one year since I've done a gig. Uh, bar one, I did. A, I went out and did some busking with a, with an old friend of mine, um, well, a couple of old friends of mine, but uh, at some point during the summer. Um, but that was just... I don't count that as a gig. It was just uh, I wasn't even playing a kit. I was playing like my cajon with my with the bass drum pedal backwards. So I was playing a cajon with my heel, and playing a snare drum with some brushes, you know, and uh, that was it. Which is great, you know. It was great, nice vibe. I love playing a bit of snare drum with brushes. Uh, we do it all day long. But it it's not what I'd call a gig. I haven't put I haven't got the drums in the car and driven somewhere and played with other people. I've done some recording, done some some work for some people, a few different things, um, mainly connected to films and television, which I've never done much of before this last year. Very, very strange, actually. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to be nearly a year since I actually gigged. And, but, you know, there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. I was very lucky uh, this week to... Last Saturday I was contacted um, by my GP and um, it was I didn't realize I was in this group six uh, I knew I was in one of the groups but I thought it was nine actually but I was in group six I thought I was going to be right at the end of this second rollout of vaccine but um, yeah group six I had my um, I had my vaccine on Wednesday it's Sunday now um, and you know touch wood I never like to say these things because you always think like you say these things and then you burst into flames you know or something horrendous happens but uh i had um the pfizer vaccine you don't know what you're going to get because they just they you just get an appointment and whatever they've ordered my um my girlfriend's mum and dad both were vaccinated in the same place last week and two weeks before and they had a different vaccine than me uh, but same centre, which is just what they have. But I did, yeah, I had this Pfizer vaccine, and I was, you know, they went through all the red, all the paraphernalia, and oh god, the side effects and everything. And I was like, okay, you know, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had some serious um, drugs in the past when I was ill, uh, some horrendous things that highly toxic uh, drug therapy, chemotherapy, um, and yeah, when you read. 
some of that paraphernalia crikey you just you just don't you, yeah you i just wouldn't read it if i was anybody i wouldn't read it again you know i probably would actually because i read these things but um i was reading the side effects of the of the vaccine you know so i had the vaccine came home and i was like i'm waiting for something to happen you know and i've been all right so far so um and uh my neighbor who's 80s i'm not gonna say how old she is she's in her 80s late 80s had it back in december and the second one in january and she had no side effects either so so um yeah anybody i don't know anybody's listening who's a bit of a conspiracy theorist sorry to disappoint you um the 5g signal has not made me dance naked around my garden with a um sombrero uh on my face or whatever whatever 5g is going to do whatever control the government now have over me with through 5g um anyway it's all nonsense. So, yeah, but I had the vaccine. So I was very happy to get the vaccine because that means that um, hopefully by May, was February, March, April, May, yeah, I'll have the second one. And uh, and it looks like things are going to maybe, you know, relax, start to sort of relax a little bit in the UK. And it looks like the data looks quite good for sort of what, how the vaccine is slowing down the you know, the spread of the virus. Anyway, I don't want to go into all this sort of stuff, but it was just something that happened this week. Um, and, yeah, I don't even know why I've been... Why I was kind of talking about that, to be honest with you. It's kind of a bit of a tangent. But um, it's just all kind of part of this uh, sort of thing of trying to stay focused and trying to stay positive, which has been quite difficult, you know, because it's been been no gigs and I've been sort of trying to, like, think, when you know, when's the next kind of gig? And I was contacted this week... Um, it's funny, all these things seem to happen at once, but a show that I'm involved in, there was two separate kind of email conversations about this show that I was involved in. One one was um, a discussion with the musical director just about a different approach to the show uh, or a different option uh, to approach the show. So having you know the existing show and then having this other... And that was quite an exciting conversation because it was like, you know, like I said, it was quite, quite full on. Um, and it's going to be a bit of a step up for that show and just make it kind of um, have quite a lot more uh, bookability. And, and the promoters really, you know, talking quite seriously again about, you know, some UK gigs. Um, and then there's just this talking about a date we had in the diary, which was put back a year, um, which is still being discussed as as may be happening uh, but there's some other dates as well a bit later in the year so it was just yeah suddenly i'd like i you know had this vaccine um and then all these emails came in about this thing it's like oh, oh gigs yeah yeah wow but then i was like yeah this gig's in july uh and it's march sorry it's february it's not even march yet and yeah but march is going to be a year since i last gigged so I was like, kind of, it was like a weird sort of bit of an emotional roller coaster, you know. So it's like, oh yeah, yeah, gigs, oh yeah, yeah, in about four months' time, you know, five months, six, five months' time, you know, um, which is cool. But it's it's then reminds you that I was in, you know, in this headspace of practicing because uh, I've not been gigging. These things getting into the playing and having access to them. Um, it's it's just a very different experience and it's not something i've experienced before because i've always gigged um i was talking to somebody last night uh, who's a musician and we both had hilarious um 
experiences at the age of 12, he was an organist in a working person, a working men's club, we call them working men's clubs. It's not a sexist thing, it's just a working men's club. It's an old name. Um, a working person's club. Yes, uh, he was an organist uh, when he was like 12, you know, and he used to play with a 90-year-old drummer. Uh, and they used to play behind the singers and all this stuff. And he was, you know, when I was 12, I used to play in a working person's club, working man's club. Um, and I used to play with this organist who was about 90, uh, who I'm sure was ripping me off. He was paying me a tenner. I'm sure he was making more than a tenner. But I was 12, £10 when I was 12 in, in 1982 was pretty good, actually. It was a nice vibe. My dad was impressed, you know very briefly um but we were just chatting about that was that was my one of my first gigs you know i started playing when i was 12 and then i got involved in brass band at school and i got involved in brass band in the town um and very quickly i was kind of you know involved in um playing gigs and playing with the brass band and then you know i was doing some other things school shows and stuff just was playing i've always played and I've always been an ill-disciplined person practicing, you know, and uh, and the one positive thing of lockdown for me has been about about embracing that thing of, of of getting very really getting into practicing, and then I had this kind of freaky feeling of like oh oh if life goes back to kind of some sort of normality, I'm going to be like I'm going to lose this really beautiful thing that I've really got into, you know, and uh, yeah, it really did my head in. And it was like, well, what am I playing for, you know? And, yeah, it's just, you get back to that thing again, it's all about balance, isn't it, you know? Uh, everything's out of balance at the moment, all the opposite way of what normality is. It's all, you know, we're all restricted, so we're all making use of that time in different ways, you know? And we're human beings, we're creatures of habit, and whatever habits we create for ourselves, you know, we, we can... Um, we can we sort of tend to stick to them, you know. I mean, habits are easy to break and all that kind of stuff, but you know, I think in, in situations like this, we we have to find things to do. As musicians, you know, uh, all my musical friends are doing very similar things to me, um, and I'm very lucky because I've got somewhere to work, you know, somewhere I can practice and stuff. And uh, I've been thinking about um, moving things up a gear, moving out of here, and and, and renting somewhere um, a proper space um maybe it's already pre-built actually because I, I wouldn't want to spend loads of time building somewhere um because i want to be able to do better remote recording i've just i'm about to upgrade all my system again get some more inputs i bought some more microphones wanted some room, proper room mics ribbon mics a different kind of sound than the km184s that i've got <clears throat> and um yeah so it's just been kind of been food for thought, thinking, you know, do I move this thing up a level, move into a space where, um, you know, it's a proper place to go and go to work, you know, um, and do my teaching from and all that. And and go to work like I do at the moment. I, you know, the moment I what I normally would do is get in the car and drive to Leeds and go to work, sit at a desk and then go and do my teaching and then go to meetings and do whatever I do within the building. And uh, that, I don't think that's going to happen soon anyway. I don't know. We don't know. But it doesn't feel like that's going to be happening soon. So I was thinking, well, if I was renting somewhere, then, you know, 
that had all my drums in it and had all my you know my gear and my computer and all my recording equipment and somewhere I could play and was soundproof and I could play there 24 hours a day then it would be you know it would be kind of a nice thing of getting out of the house but then I did, I get out of the house now because this the drum shed is not it's at the top of the garden. It's um, it's away from the house. So in the morning, I come out of the house with my brew and I come up the steps up the quarry and I come here and work all day and just go back to the house to have a pee and make a brew, you know, and that's it really. Um, and spend between half past nine and half past six every day in here, you know, and I do that five days a week. And on a Saturday, I spend quite a lot of time up here as well because I come and work on some music. I come and do some more practice um and do a bit more practice actually on a saturday um and then on the sunday I'd, i like i said I, I have a day off all that stuff and do other things and just to recharge the brain and the one thing i don't yeah is i don't do the exercise on on the sunday and my friend max beasley was saying that's the thing to do is to not do one day just have a day off and I've followed what he's asked, what he advised me to do. I've followed it to the letter of the law, and I've been doing his Weight Watchers things, as I mentioned previously. And um, I saw, I've seen the number fifteen on the scales for the first time this last week. So, uh, just to put it in perspective for any of you skeptics out there, um, one is I've had a Pfizer vaccine, and I'm not. Um, my head isn't. You know, like a Belisha beacon, and I'm not being controlled by a, um, by a, uh, I don't know, a remote control plane or something. Um, and secondly, um, last year we went to Norway, uh, and when I came back from Norway, I was around 18 stone two. Uh, I, can't, I don't know what that is in kilos, you're gonna have to work it out yourself. Or pounds even, but um, 18 stone, two pounds. And then during lockdown, I gave up crisps, white bread, and, uh, yeah, and not pasta completely, but I started eating a bit less pasta uh, and got down to around 17 two three consistently you know but then wasn't shifting from that and, and i eat big portions you know so and then you know me and my my girlfriend we actually wanted to go back on weight watchers and she wanted me to try it i was very skeptical because i just don't can't be asked i'm not skeptical at all i'm just lazy and can't be asked i just want to eat loads of food and chocolate things and crisps and whatever but i give them the crisps up the chocolate was creeping in Anyway, I decided to do it with her. I thought I'd do a bit of solidarity here. You know, it's a good thing, you know, you know, do something together and support each other. But I, you know, when I get into things, I do them, I do them properly. Like, like the practicing thing, I kind of do them properly, you know, I get into them and it's, uh, and don't want to have that feeling of failure and disappointment. And so I started in January and I was 17, three. Uh, and today I'm 15, 10, sorry, 15, 12. Yeah, 15, 12 today. And my target weight, this is like my clave, um, this is like the clave thing. Um, I just feel like I'm in like some sort of counselling session here. Like I'm just like wittering on about um, a load of nonsense. Nobody's going to want to listen to me. I really do apologise for the low quality of this um, rambling this week. But yeah, my target weight is 14 and a half stone. 
basically. Or 15 is probably more reasonable. Um, but, I, yeah, I've not seen a number 15 for a long, 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 long time. And so it was... Uh, it works, people. You know, like, practising works. Um... I always remember when I first met John Riley, he was doing his workshop and he said, uh, practicing's hard, practicing works. You know, he just said this thing to one of my ex-students who was trying to play this thing for him. And he was doing a good job of it, actually, but he was just sort of struggling through with it a bit. And he was just in a workshop, but he got in front of everybody, you know, and played for John Riley. I was very impressed with him, you know, and he was he playing this quite simple-ish coordination thing, but he was finding it a little bit tricky and... And he was like bearing all in front of everybody, like showing how he would practice it. He was doing a good job of of, them, of being methodical, and, and John, John was really impressed with him. He said, "You know, practicing's hard. Practicing works." You know, and uh, and I always remembered that thing. You know, like yeah, yeah, practicing works. Of course it does, and and it really does. And the, the last, the last, these last sort of four particularly last four or five months, and particularly last three months when I've been sort of being more accountable to somebody, has made a huge difference, you know. Um, the thing I'd say to anybody is to just have the goals, you know, to, like, what do you actually want to achieve, you know. Jason Ribello came and did a workshop at our college many years ago, uh, and he was playing with um, Steve Keogh, a great drummer and... Uh, Flo Moore, a young bass player at the time, who's now a very well-established London bass player. She's a very, very, very good player. And But she she was playing with uh, Jason and Steve. Um, did this, they were doing this workshop, you know. And Jason was talking about practising. And uh, it was a really interesting thing that he said. You know, he said, I didn't really learn how to practise until I was about 25. And he said because I found the right things for me to practice. Because he said, because just practicing in itself is fine, you know, but it, it not it doesn't necessarily serve your purpose. You know, what is your purpose? Not the purpose, but your purpose. Because they're two different things, aren't they? You know, a lot of people obsess about what's the purpose, the meaning, you know. They don't go, what's my purpose, what's my meaning? That's very different. Um, it's like saying meaningless or saying meaning free, you know. Um, very, very different sentiment in those two kind of um, ways of seeing the same thing, essentially. And a lot of people forget about what their purpose is. What is their purpose? What are they trying to achieve? What What are the things that they practice helping them facilitate in what they want to do, what they want to do when they play? You know, and. Uh, and I, yeah, and it was just the right time for me with the lessons is that I'd found this purpose, you know, um, and and the accountability thing was also part of the purpose, you know. It was uh, I wanted to be able to check in with somebody in, you know, on my, on my own terms, you know, because I'm a grown, I'm a grown man, you know, I'm 50. I'm not, you know, I'm not... Um, not a beginner, but everything, every new exercise I practice, uh, I feel like a beginner, you know, which is a very liberating feeling. It's like uh, coming to the instrument again for the first time, you know. And it's been so exciting, like, tracking these things in this little diary I've got. Um, and so, 
and kind of the, to get into a little bit more detail about the diary thing, the, the the most exciting thing has been these little nuggets of vocabulary and and taking them away from the genre that they were stolen from, and bringing them into the jazz vocabulary. And that's a lot. That's about sound world. You know, it's about it's just like tuning the drums differently and hitting them at a different dynamic. You know. And a lot of people have this view that jazz is this sticking or jazz is that sticking. And it's all bullshit, people, you know. It's just, it isn't that at all. You know, Philly Joe, Max Roach, Roy Haynes, Jack Jeanette, Tony Williams, um, Art Taylor, I could go on and on. They, they all sticked things differently. Get over it, you know. Uh, we can be jazz players and play exclusively singles, we can be jazz players and play exclusively doubles. We can be jazz players and do what I do and play a combination of the two, which is basically a, a para and diddle vocabulary, isn't it? You know, combinations of singles and double strokes, um, which is definitely my approach. I always, I've said this before, I always favour the doubles. I always go, my go-to is the doubles or combinations of things that involve double strokes, you know. And it's about generating twice the amount of information for, you know, half the input, you know. Um, or getting twice as much out of a single input. It's always been about that for me. Whereas the single stroke thing is you've got to work it, you know. Uh, I'm too lazy for all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, but tuning the drums a bit higher and then hitting them differently. And also it's that, it's that kind of technical approach, you know, if you're playing what I call um, exclusively vertically, like da -da 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 -da, like hand to hand, and everything's played from the wrist, and it's you know even with doubles, but it's played wrist to wrist to wrist to wrist. That is that's a hard way to play, you know. But people do play like they play from the fingers, they play French, you know. Uh, my my kind of way of playing in, involves some kind of um, motion it, which generates different articulated strokes you know so if you're looking at the like we talked about this before i mean the, the kind of that do that tap which is strike rebound rebound tap is how a paradiddle a standard uh, forward paradiddle is generated by using a single input approach you know strike two rebounds and a tap stroke the left hand, if you're starting with the right hand, by the way, strike right hand, the left hand is at the end of its cycle there. The, the, the left hand, the second stroke of the powder, the right left before the right right, that left is the tap stroke in the cycle for the left hand. For the right hand, you've just begun your cycle. You've got your strike, two rebounds, and a tap stroke to start the cycle again. The potential energy comes from the tap, kinetics released, strike. And the left hand is right at the potential energy point at the second strike, at the second stroke of the paradiddle. Um, and so, you know, that's how a lot of the way I play, um, that's how I play. <laughs> Basically, it's how I see things as well. 
And so I've been doing lots of coordination exercises, not only, you know, playing awkward things against other awkward things, but also remembering all the time about this way of inputting to the instrument, you know, and uh, so that it's integrated. So I don't end up in a situation where I've learned all these coordinational things and they're all like the input, the way of inputting them all is not, is not connected to the way in which I connected the instrument and the technique that I use, you know. They've got to work together. So um, it's been really interesting, you know, like uh, that challenging, thinking about things in that way. Uh, I always talk to my students when, I, when they're learning to play jazz, you know, I get them to do this, I get them to do three different hand uh, things playing time, you know, in the right hand. If they're, if they're right-handed, if you're left-handed, it's with the left hand, but uh, I've got some left-handed students that play right-handed as well. Um, but on the right symbol, there's the there's the, the the technique of of the drop skip. So you get the drop and then the strike. Ding ding ding. Right, just hitting the pad quite hard there just to demonstrate. Play swing like that. Bang bang bang. Horrendous. Um, but that's one technique. And you've got to coordinate that technique within you know, within what you're playing. People forget about that element of it. What I see common is people practicing coordination exercises and the right hand defaults back to some old way of playing the cymbal, you know. And you have to remember, oh, yeah, I've got to coordinate. I've got to get that technique. Make sure that technique is... So when I've been practicing all these, these awkward things, I've been reminding myself about my right hand, you know. Because most of the stuff I've been practicing coordination-wise has been invo has involved the right hand playing ting, ting to ting, playing a swing pattern. The other one's playing like a, a two-stroke pattern, to ding, to ding, one and, two and, three and, four and, first and second triplet, the partials of the triplet on each beat. That's been the other thing I've been practicing quite a lot with different left hand and bass drum patterns and stuff. Um, it's like a North African thing. That second triplet quaver being being emphasised, you know, uh, I really like it in swing with the left hand. Forget, just get it's like a, it's a kind of elviny thing, isn't it? And playing the little partial before the sixteenth note triplet before it as well. Not but um, But I've been practicing these patterns with it in the right hand, and I'm just emphasising the second one very slightly and playing a number of different left-hand patterns. And then doing this, there's this, been this thing I've been practicing for a few years where the bass drum pattern moves between the four lots of uh, triplet quavers and then three lots of uh, triplet quavers, but played in groups of four. So the bass drum goes from the boom, 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 boom. So you've got that two different things going on. It's like like it's like a three four samba thing, with time played in the right hand and with this other pattern, this North African to get to get to get. That's quite interesting because the bass drum, it plays into, it plays with, and then it plays after, and it plays between. You know. Uh, and uh, everything I've been practicing has involved that relationship with left hand to left foot, right hand to left foot, right hand to right foot, left hand to right foot, left foot to right foot, right hand to right foot. 
you see what I'm saying? All all those different relationships of together and then right or together left or together with the foot or together with the other foot or all those different combinations. All these different patterns have that relationship in them and uh, different patterns for me feel awkward uh, in different ways with the same thing. Sometimes I can play one thing really easily in one type of pattern and not do it great in another. Uh, and one of the things I've been aiming to get down and play really well, and this is like a complete, this is going completely off on one in relation to music, is is John Robinson, Ain't Nobody. It's those three bass drums together. Yeah. Playing them while what you're playing the hi hat at the same time, and just before them, there's two open hi hats on the second and the fourth, sixteenth semiquaver, sixteenth semiquaver of the fourth beat. One, a two, and a three. And then you get the last semiquaver of beat four and the first two semiquavers of beat one with these with these three bass drum beats together really on the money like quantized you know and uh, one of the things I want to be able to play really well is that pattern and practicing all these jazz things is really helping with that I can't tell you enough how it's helping with that and you wouldn't think would you you'd think oh well you, you know the way to practice that is to do it slowly and just to practice it play it round and round and round for hours and you could do that but you're only practicing that aren't you um, and it's a bit like that thing of um, like when you, when people copy somebody else's chop or a pattern and then they play it as well and you go I just find that boring uh, and there's no disrespect to anybody but I just think well it's like someone just repeating what someone else has just said you know in the same voice trying to do an, almost like doing an impression of them but but doing an impression of somebody that, that nobody wants to hear an impression of. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's not like you're doing an impression of, um, you know, Donald Trump or something. Not that I want to hear Donald Trump's voice ever, but I like I like the comedy impressions, the slightly exaggerated impressions. And that's where it gets interesting. And that's what people should be doing when they're copying other people's stuff and then they're assimilating it and then they start to do their own thing with it. Um, almost make it tongue in cheek, or you know, make it more serious or more articulated, or you know, play at a different speed or a different division or whatever. But when you're practicing, I think the right kind of exercises for you that are trying to facilitate this uh, flexibility in your playing, then everything you're doing is nothing like that other thing. It's it it's it's a totally different way of practicing. And it seeps into all the different areas of your playing, you know. And that's this is the way that I teach, essentially. I, be, I believe that I do. You know, if people practice the stuff that I ask them to in the way that I ask them to properly, if they practice it properly and they trust in the system of it, you know, um, it's just an approach. It's just it's just a way of practicing coordination and about them having a concept. You know, it's conceptual. 
it's like I want I want this sound. I want to play in this way. I want to sound like this. At the moment, I'm I'm trying to sound like this other person because I'm really into them, and that's fine. But I'm ultimately I want to assimilate that information and make it my own, you know. And that's always the key. That second thing, because if you, you so there's never anything wrong with copying what somebody else is doing in that situation. I think because your aspiration. You're always aspiring to do your own thing with information, you know, with the information. Um, it's funny, me and uh, Elliot Henshaw, you know, if you've not heard that episode, a number of episodes ago, we we, we spent a, a podcast together and played in a bit and stuff. It's a really good episode, really enjoyable, funny, very funny guy. And we're very, you know, old friends. Um, we get together every so often and just do a Zoom uh, kind of hangout, drum hang thing with each other. Uh, and we just sit and talk nonsense. The first half an hour is is just generally complete and utter abstract comedy nonsense. It's got nothing to do with drums or anything. It's just chaos. Uh, and then we kind of settle down and we you know stop being so giddy and uh, and then we start getting really giddy about drums. And we, and we always share one or two things that we're working on, you know. And it's so interesting because both of us are very we have very similar ways of finding the difficult corners in something and just isolating them and being quite methodical about that. But we also have this thing where we intrinsically we, we want to do our own thing almost immediately with the thing that we're sharing with the other, you know. And he was showing me this Gary Novak stiff sticking the other day. Which is just a it's it's a it's a six stroke roll thing then with two bass drums. So you get the you get the right, left, left, right, right, left, and then you get two bass drums, you know. So it's like no big deal, you know. Um but immediately when I was trying to play it and the way he plays it, like he doesn't he doesn't sound like Gary Novak, he sounds like himself when he plays it, but he can play it really fluidly and pretty quickly. And I it was and it was new to me. I was I was trying to get my head around it, and 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 I was immediately trying to f connect to it in my own way. You know, I wasn't just sort of doing the robotic thing of right, left, left, right, right, left, foot, foot, right, left, left, right, right, left, foot, foot. I might do that with a complicated pattern at first, just to get it into the muscle memory. But my brain is always trying to go, where do I already know that from? Where have I already done that? Where do I where where you know where's where's that happened before for me in a different context? My my brain is always trying to do that when I'm learning new stuff. And I think that's probably the same for everybody. I can't speak for anybody else, but I imagine that's happening. So um, anyway, I was immediately thinking about different ways to put it around the kit. And, to, and the important thing is to put it into a different division, you know. And, uh, and because it's an eight-beat pattern for instance if you're playing in triplet quavers um it, it works over two bar phrase you know because it's it's for three eights 24 uh, as if as as our two twelves you know or four sixes so it's quite a nice phrase uh to practice and it's like it's one i was practicing yesterday and i was writing down some stuff because it's like another one of these things where if you play that pattern in triplet quavers and you play the hi-hat on two and four so you're doing your right and left hand and your right foot are doing one coordinational job, an integrated coordinational job. The left foot is accompanying that and it's playing just on two and four, not on one, two, three and four, but just on two and four. Uh, that, for me, 
presents coordinational challenges because of where the right foot lands and also because of my connection to that pattern. That pattern sounds intrinsically to me like it's in 4-4 and it's in straight division music. You know. And even if I'm articulating it like a... Um, uh, what is it again now? So if I'm playing the... I'm going... So if I was going... Just playing the sixth stroke, uh, I'm, I'm trying to do the same articulation, but I'm then, before the bass drum, playing a weightier left hand, which I'd probably rim shot, or playing the high house one. Dennis, we were talking about this actually, Elliot was saying it was something that Dennis Chambers did a lot, and I was like, as soon as he played it, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's a Dennis thing, yeah. In, in, integrated with other stuff, well, this little moment, this little moment of something that you recognise from Dennis's vocabulary, you know, this is the... And played with that weight, it's a fusion-y, very fusion-y um, vocabulary, you know. It's not a jazz vocabulary, but I'm, I'm trying to always play those things within the jazz sound world. I'm trying to lighten them slightly and, uh, and also orchestrate them in a way where it's got that kind of jazz sound... You know, in, in in just in the way where one would, um, I don't know. Sometimes put the put the melodic element onto the toms. You know, that's maybe something to think of. That comes from the Ted Reed thing for me. You know, uh, having practiced those syncopation sets two and exercise one and two, etc., a lot, and taught them a lot, um, and that whole concept behind that of using those using those patterns and turning them into triplet quavers and then tripletizing them and playing them as roll solos and then putting the accents onto the toms and suddenly you create these melodies and you're practicing improvising essentially, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's just very, very interesting how, how we make these things our own. But you need a diary, I think. This is the only way... Because uh, I, I used to think, oh, I can I can remember all this stuff in my head, you know. And as I've got older and things... You know, as the brains become more full and things have become slightly more cloudy and just, you know, everything's slightly working against you as you get older. Uh, and I'd really felt this about a year or so ago. I really felt like uh, I, was falling, I was falling asleep a bit in my brain, especially with drums. And, um, you know, I'd had this, um, this thing had been going on in, in, in the family and... And I would, I'd really fallen off the technique. Um, it's funny now because when I when I when I come to the kit now, and um, the hands immediately feel so much more focused and on it, just because I've been spending time practicing the snare drum, you know. And and I'm also like with the traditional grip thing. This is an interesting one. Uh, I'm holding the stick. I was going for a long period. I've been doing a lot of stuff where I've been holding the stick right at the end. And so with the Erskine originals, because they're end heavy, you get a lot of weight, you know. But you are you're a bit compromised with the doubles, you know, and, and the triple strokes and stuff, and the four strokes. But I've been... Uh, recently, I've been moving the left hand... Uh, I've been playing the stick more central, almost. Not in the middle of the stick, but like I always have this kind of barometer that um, 
on the on the Vic Firth sticks on the Peter Erskine original, the flag, I covered the flag with my thumb with traditional grip. So you see the word Peter Erskine upside down, and then the flag is under the thumb. Okay. And that always feels like the optimum position, but I have just recently been exposing the flag. Sounds weird. Um, you can see the flag a little bit. It's slightly out from the thumb on the on the outside of the thumb, not the inside. I'm not, um, and it's um, it's just been yeah, it's been really interesting because it's you, there's a little bit more speed to be had, you know. But you do lose you lose some of the bottom end of the sound, and you lose a little bit of the volume. You have got to work a bit harder for the volume as well. Um, but I've been doing a lot of vocabulary practice. I've been I've been doing a lot of stuff where I'm uh, uh, like around the instrument and and trying to uh, sort of learn some new crossover things and they're just just really trying to push some new uh, some new stuff for me and and integrate a lot of the vocabulary which I already know and the, and the concepts as well behind some of the vocabulary that I already know. Bring those concepts into the new vocabulary um, and also. The big one is changing the division of the vocabulary. So instead of them being, I'm playing the same pattern, but I'm not thinking of it in semiquavers or sixteenth notes. I'm thinking about it in triplet quavers, you know, triplet triplet eighth notes, and then playing that and working out those patterns in triplets instead of semiquavers, and coming up with some really really fascinating stuff. I've been obsessing about this six stroke. Uh, thing six stroke then inverted paradiddle sticking which is a ten stroke sticking which John Riley gave me and I've been I've written this two bar fill um, using that idea and I've really kind of got really nerdy into like loads of different elements with that the movement elements and about reorchestration elements and stuff you know and uh, so if you're you know if you're copying if you're if you're listening to other people's vocabulary and you're copying it, and even if you're staying in the same kind of sound world, the same language, try, uh, I, you know, definitely keep a diary of it, keep a progress diary, you know. And it's nice as well, like last night I sat down and had a little consolidation session. So, you know, I like, um, I sat down with it and went through each page and because, you know, I just write things in the order that I do them. So I end up with... Um, the ten stroke patterns on page two, and then the oh now this kind of amalgamated version of it is now on page five, and on page seven is the long fill, which is based upon the page five and page two. It's not on the same page as each other, you know. So there's, a, there's that that's kind of going on a lot of the time. So it's quite nice to just to just sort of flick back through the book because in between them there's all these little things that that happen because of practicing those exercises or those patterns or those stickings or whatever, these little other things that come out that I, that I write down and then I forget about them because I'm not practicing them at the time, you know. Um, and this was, so this was one of the things that was why I'd not done the podcast because I had this idea to sit down and do like a session, set the mic up and do a whatever. And it's so much faffing about with that whole thing of setting up the mic and everything that you just lose like the mojo with it, you know. Um, and so, and the other thing was I just realised how precious the time was. And I'm not saying that it's not precious this time to record this and share it with um, whoever's interested in listening i'm not saying that at all but what i'm saying is that because time is so precious to get on the kit and just crack on with practicing 
that it was like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to work as a, as a way of making it work. But when I get my new sound card set up and I've got a couple of some new mics coming and I'm going to sort of change my setup a little bit, I might be in, might end up being in a situation where I've got like a permanent setup. Um, that means I can just, you know, get, get, just get straight on with um, recording myself practising, you know. Um, because I don't record practising... Uh, this stuff like I do the other stuff when I'm practicing and when I'm writing the stuff the pieces of music that I uh, that I film when I do like the sort of the 20 takes of the same thing you know and watch it back uh, I don't record a lot of this type of practicing because it's it's very much a muscle memory feeling thing which I'll go away and and then I will um, you know, I'll sit on the couch when I'm watching television later and I'll be just coordinating that left foot thing with the right foot and the left hand very slowly on the couch, you know. And then I'll be thinking about it when I'm when I'm lying in bed when I'm, just before I go to sleep, you know, and those kind of things. It's just a kind of it's just a it's just a, a neural thing. It's a plasticity of the mind thing. It's a muscle memory thing. Um the things that I generally generally re record, I can't say that generally re record, are um, when I'm when I'm listening back to how something's performing, how something's working, or when it's a sound thing, you know, when it's uh, but it's normally about it's normally when it's when it's a it's a sort of broader it's a broader topic. That's when I generally record myself. And I always say to my students, you should be recording, you know, nearly everything that you do. Um, I don't know whether you know whether they do, but quite a lot of them do. But they should, but they 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 certainly seem to be kind of into the this idea of recording themselves when they're playing music with other people, you know, and uh, and then listening back to it. Uh, and my my sort of hope is they're listening back to it together and they're talking about it, you know, talking about what's working and what's not working within that music and being really, um, you know, being really pragmatic and positively critiquing each other and, and being really kind of like, can we do this better? How can we do this better, you know? Um, but a lot of stuff I'm practising isn't like that at the moment. It's just um, a lot of it's repetition. And, and some people have their opinions that they don't think repetition practice is a good thing. Um, I can't find another way to work out these coordinational problems without repetition. That's my opinion, and uh, that works for me. And, and a lot of people I've taught that, that practice properly, all the people that I've taught that practiced properly and practiced those things properly have all done very well out of uh, dealing with those coordinational issues by using repetitive practice. With a, with a with a certain approach, a systematic approach, that's not just a kind of hit and hoping approach, or it's having different cognitive ways of approaching that thing of, of saying, oh, I'm going to treat it as a sticking and look at it, I'm going to write it down and, and look at it in a way like it's like it's not this against that, it's just this sticking. It's either together or right or left, or you know, or, or either of the feet, you know. Um it's it's very much thinking about the feet and the hands integrated, and so when you when you've got the together strokes, you know you have you have to think, start thinking a little bit, sort of more laterally or wider about you know the together stroke can be a right hand and a left foot, you know, 
or it can be a left hand and a, and a left foot, a left hand and a right foot, you know, or three limbs together, you know, all that kind of thing. But it's it's a way of just th thinking about stuff to get to get into the the feeling of playing that thing, but with a different approach to it of not this. Oh, I've got to play this rhythm against that rhythm or this pattern against that pattern with these two different limbs. Oh, that's really tough. I, I, that doesn't work well for me. Um, this, this the other approach does definitely work better. You know. Um, I think the thing I was playing at the beginning of this was this partido uh, rhythm. So the flams is the other rhythm is this. Which is a displaced rumba clave. Um, so it's it's a displaced rumba clave with partido at the same time, and the bass drum pattern, which I can't play at the moment because I can't get to the pedal uh, in the comfortable position. But it is like a displaced tumbao thing, um, which I think I was playing right at the beginning, just before we started. But all that was learnt. Um, the same way as I was talking to you about a few weeks ago when I was talking about that thing of playing cascara. Uh, to a beat apart from each other same thing i wrote it down and played it as a pattern you know um i don't know whether i talked about that on here or whether i talked about it. i did a live did one of these weird instagram live things for like 10 minutes um which i was going to do regularly actually and then i just couldn't be asked because i just think ah, no one's really interested are they you know i mean you've got to do that thing like regularly and and have things to, I don't know. The ones I watch, they're either really interesting people who are amazing players and have just have whatever they say is interesting. And they're just it's just interesting to hear somebody talking about whatever they wanting to express. Or um, or you watch these other, like I've watched this guy Dan Vise. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Dan Wise, Dan Vise. He's a New York drummer. Uh, he's like amazing and he does loads of these live things but the stuff he's practicing is so complicated you know uh, and he's kind of he's kind of nearly there with it you know and it, you're like watching it it's just so heavy it's brilliant it's really inspiring but he's he's doing I think he's writing a book at the moment it seems like he's writing a book and I think it's from his book so I always kind of load them and they're like halfway through and then they stop. You know, I just don't have any reference point for what. But sometimes I can kind of work out what he's playing. But most of the stuff he's doing are different ostinato things or coordinational things against each other and dis or displacements and movements of patterns. You know, a, a, set, a, a rhythm that moves a quaver earlier or a quaver later within triplets or straight music, you know, straight feel, sorry. And uh, he'll keep the other three elements the same, you know, so these little partials move within uh, a, a grouping. So the idea is that, you know, if I'm playing this with my right hand and I'm playing these three things with my left foot, right foot and my left hand, I can change this right hand to play any of these permutations. And then what he'll do, the next thing is he'll put whatever the left hand's doing, he'll move through all the permutations and he'll move the left foot and the right foot. And... A lot of those kind of exercises are just finding uh, whatever it is that you're practicing and then doing that to it. You know, it's a conceptual thing, isn't it? You know, um, 
It kind of reminds me of a little bit of um, like what Gavin Harrison with the rhythmic, uh, is it called Rhythmic Illusions or something? can't remember the book. I've got the book in there. Um, and then I've got the DVD as well. Rhythmic Visions or something. Anyway, he does this thing where he moves, he'll play like a bar of, um, of 17, 16 or 15, 16 to move the, the, the groove a, a semi-quaver earlier or later against the click. So you get these really interesting, weird grooves going on, you know, against the kind of um, the pulse, so to speak. But it's really a way of training yourself to um, to be very strong with a click track, you know, be able to play a, a semi-quaver or demi-semi-quaver later or before the click and not move, you know. Um, but, but that's like a holistic thing, so that's doing the whole groove... Uh, this is the thing that Ari Honig. I've got a couple of his books, and the thing, a lot of the thing he was like practicing. I know for for time and was teaching, and he's written these books. Uh, it's called Systems. I can't remember the name of it, but that's like a thing again. It's the same thing of he'll take swing the swing pattern, and he'll move it a, a triplet quaver later. So it's the same pattern, but it'll sound very different because on the second triplet partial, and then it'll start on the second, and then it'll be on the on the um, on the third, uh, the second, sorry, of another group. It's, it's all moved along, you know. Um, so, and then, but the other three parcels stay the same, or whatever is going on in the right foot, left hand, and left foot, you know. But it's uh, you can sort of do any of those things to anything that you're practicing. If you if you're practicing anything that's more than two way coordinated, you know. Um, because most of the things that we play are three-way coordinated, aren't they? You know, um, not everything is uh, fully four-way coordinated. But a lot of the stuff I'm practicing at the moment is is three-way coordinated against a, a fourth, the ostinato in the fourth voice. You know, which is normally the right hand. <clears throat> but I'm determined at some point this year. Um, to start using that four-way coordination book and actually start working on some of those patterns, you know. Um, but it's a book that I look at and it's just like, oh, God, it's a lot of reading, you know. But it's one of those things, you get into it, you start to read in that way and it becomes, you know, easier and easier and easier. And some of the triplet stuff that's a little bit later, well, it's it's like after the first part of the book, is more interesting to me immediately than the straight stuff. But I am going to do it from the beginning because I want to learn to read the straight stuff. So, um, but yeah, you know, if you're playing like a, a groove thing, then, you know, that's normally, if you're playing a groove thing on the high hand, the high it's not open and it's, it's a three way coordinated thing. The, 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 the fourth voice is closing the high hat, which is, I don't think he's coordinationally challenging enough to call a fourth coordinated thing. I mean, you can, if you really want to, I mean, if you're opening the high hat, I suppose, you know, but it's not. I mean, I don't even think, unless you're opening it in tricky places. I think you know, uh, the, the main thing you're coordinating is normally anything that's actually right hand and right foot. If you're right handed and playing groove stuff, the left hand is normally landing in one of the divisions of what the right hand's doing, and the in the right foot is the thing that's maybe syncopating against the right hand. You know, um, and if, but if you start working on playing like a straight groove thing and moving that bass drum pattern forward or back a semi-quaver, a 16th note. And then then you 
then you move the snare drum pattern uh, forward or back a sixteenth note, you know, and then you move the hi hat pattern onto off beats, off off beat sixteenths notes, and all that stuff. Um, and the thing I've noticed with all those all those sort of things, practicing all this other stuff I've been doing, I found those things quite easy to play, um, which is which I found really fascinating because I thought I was going to have to practice all those things as well, and they've actually come much much easier because of practicing the swing stuff, you know. And this is not an evangelical thing trying to get people to learn swing drums and do it. But my experience of these particular coordination patterns that I'm practicing, the way I'm practicing them has definitely opened a lot of other doors for me. So, you know, what can I say? All our brains are different, though. That's, I can only share my experience, uh, and it may be interesting to somebody else. But um, obviously it may not be at all either, and that's absolutely fine. And everyone's got their own way of doing things, so, you know, it's all interesting. And if we have our, our minds and our hearts open, then there's much to be learned out there, people. Much to be learned. Uh, and we should be, you know, now more than ever, really thinking about when we're going to be playing together again. You know, what that's going to mean. You know, what that's going to mean to the audiences that come and watch us. What that's going to mean for us playing music together and, you know, communicating in that way again. I'm so, I've so missed it. So looking forward to it, um, and it's. I know it's going to do my head in because there's always that thing of it when you spend a lot of time practicing and a lot of time at the instrument in that way. Then when you go and play and it's in the lap of the gods and you're just kind of in the moment, then you know the the thing is to not bring any of that stuff to the bandstand because all you're going to do is you're going to be looking searching for the golden fill you know that ain't going to come because there's nowhere for it to fit because the music ain't asking for it you know so um it always I, I always it always takes me a while to get back into playing you know back into playing live with people back into the groove of playing live you know and I always hear when um, I always hear that when it happens, you know. I always there's a there's a point where I really feel like that's happening for me, you know. Uh, and my brain, everything's working in a certain kind of way. Uh, and one of the big disturbers for me uh, in the past, and uh, it's a really squeaky stool I'm sat on, it's, um, has been height, has been not sitting at a height that I've ever really been comfortable at, of always messing around with the height and always coming to gigs and playing with this kind of, just this kind of area of doubt in my mind. Oh, am I sat at the right hand? Am I feeling good? I mean, is the bass drum working as it should be? And the big thing for this year, for me, has been resolving that problem for, forever, you know, of saying, I'm going to sit at this height, I'm going to play this way, and I'm going to not lose control of the ideas from this platform, you know. Uh, and that's that's what it is for me, really. About not getting out of control and becoming, getting into another thing that's not really me and not really where it's coming from, you know. And, uh, yeah, just trying to get better and trying to make it easier, you know. So that's kind of been it, really. So anyway, have a great week. I think I've witted on for long enough. Um... And hope that wasn't too boring. Sorry about all the randomness, all the sort of other stuff, the baggage. 
But um, yeah, have a great week, and I hope you know we everyone's anticipating this great announcement tomorrow from our leader. Um, 22nd of February. There's all these weird datelines in these podcasts because of COVID, you know. In, in, the, in the future, listening back will be... It sort of freaks me out. I'll, I'll maybe listen back in 10 years' time to this period, you know, and be, like, weirdly nostalgic about it, but in a kind of not particularly... I don't know, from a practice point of view, it'll be a nice time to think back on it. It'll be quite a warm time to think of, but in other ways, it's just bizarre, you know, just a bizarre thing absolutely bizarre um but yeah anyway so you know it's kind of it is what it is but um but yeah hopefully we'll be have a bit of a better idea after tomorrow about when we can maybe expect to start you know we're getting back to kind of you know when things maybe start opening up again and things might be starting to possibly get a little bit back to normal um and it's all going to be led from it's all going to be led from school education and stuff. And because I'm sort of part of the higher education part of things, we tend to you tend to follow quite quickly. So it feels like whatever happens there is going to be uh, in our favour, you know, which is good. Uh, and I'm really, you know, I've got my fingers crossed for hospitality. Um, you know, all all the other side of my life and what I do and the music that I play with, all the people I play with, is all linked to the hospitality industry, you know, and. It's been absolutely crushed by this uh, in this last year. So everybody's desperate to get things opened up again and and uh, and yeah, and be able to play some music to people. You know, um, this year, uh, maybe this summer. So, and it might be yeah, be nice to be able to announce some projects and bits and bobs um, that maybe are on the go. There's a few things maybe going to be happening. That, uh, but I'm not going to talk about any of them because you know there's no point in talking about things until they're kind of definitely going to be on the on the cards. So um, so yeah, have a good week uh, or a couple of weeks, and um, I may do uh, an episode next week to to get back into the the two week cycle thing. Um, but it's really whether I've got anything useful to say, and that's. Um, highly unlikely probably but we'll see you know so nice one um take care stay safe and bye for now